Hello, Chris here with another installment of the Make It Podcast. And today on the podcast, we have a conversation with assistant director and writer Sandrine Matthews. Sandrine, a former child actress, has spent the majority of her life in the creative world. And although some believe she was too shy to be in entertainment, Sandrine repeatedly silenced and astonished her naysayers, performing on the stage in leading roles in Hello, Dolly!, Godspell, and A Christmas Story, taking the lead in numerous PSAs filmed in her hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and competing in and winning a variety of vocalist, instrumentalist, and dance competitions. Her schedule and exposure to the creative life led her to begin taking more behind-the-scenes roles, a job she found out she also enjoyed. Over the years, Sandrine has been a stage manager, director, photographer, cinematographer, and monitor engineer. Most recently, she's made her living as an assistant director, working on numerous features, shorts, and commercials, and spends her free time writing and working on her goal of becoming a showrunner, a goal she will no doubt accomplish and achieve. And so, without further ado, I give you the Benjamin Button of the indie film world. Seriously, she looks younger each year that goes by. I give you assistant director and badass creative in general, Sandrine Matthews. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Hi, my name is Sandrine Matthews. I am an assistant director by profession and a writer by design and desire, um, aspirationally, I suppose. Um, I have worked on a handful of stuff with uh, a lot of the people on this podcast. Uh, I worked on a most recently a feature called Potter's Ground with starring Isaiah Stratton. Uh, I've worked on a movie called Road Less Traveled starring Lauren Elena. Um, Almost Balanced Booty was Ted Welch. And, um, Currently, I am working on a, a feature film and several different web series. Um, one that I'm producing collaboratively with a lot of people in Nashville. Um, another one that's a docu-series um, about songwriters. And then a, another one that's a short little web series called Love and Board Games that's about love and board games. <laughs> that is absolutely perfect, Sandrine. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This fun. Yeah, yeah, this is a long time coming. We've known each other for a long time. And um, I think about you, and I think that you are one of Nashville's, or I should say the Nashville film, independent film community's best kept secrets. <laughs> Why is that? Because I'm really good, bad at marketing. Um <laughs> Possibly. I don't know. I, 
I guess like one of the things I forgot to mention that I do, um, I, I call myself a consultant because um, I like helping other people. Uh, I had a, a talk with Chad McLarnon um, a little while ago, and we we're just kind of catching up and finding about our projects. And um, he was working on trying to get funding for his feature film. And I'm like, yeah, that's just not really what my strong suit is. Like, I feel like if I sat down with a potential investor, the conversation would end with me saying, or them talking about how they've always wanted to make a film and me encouraging them to make one and telling them that I would help them. They're like, there would be no money exchange. Or, but it would be me offering them services as opposed to them giving me money because that's just what my personality is. Um, and I, I think that's just kind of where my mind goes. Like I love creating, uh, I love writing and, and ADing and helping and doing all this other stuff. But like my favorite part of the film community is just the collaborativeness about it. And so in whatever way I'm able to do, whether I'm on set or I'm doing, giving script notes or, um, wherever people need me. Like that's just kind of often where I'll be. Um, but I don't advertise it or talk about it a lot because, uh, despite how much I'm going to ramble during this interview, I don't like talking about myself. <laughs> I've always thought you were a very eloquent speaker and, um, <laughs> I, I can't think of a conversation I've ever had with you that I, that I didn't enjoy and wasn't sort of engrossed by it because you have so much energy for people. <laughs> And I think that's part of why you like to help so much. And um, it's very cool. That, uh, you know, Chad McLaren is one of the people uh, of a handful of people that I think about every day. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's such a weird thing to say out loud, but it's true. I, I think about him every day because I not only owe him some business stuff, but I owe him just a beer, just, yes. a, just a bourbon on ice. So... If Chad listens he's, to this, he should know that uh, he's on my mind all the time. <laughs> well, Chad is a very lovely man, but he's also very interesting. Like he always has something going on. So no matter any of those times when you're thinking about him, like he's probably doing or preparing to do something that's just completely outrageous, but also makes sense. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I think that's that's spot on. Um you weren't always part of this community. You kind of came from somewhere else. How did you end up in Nashville? Um, I needed somewhere to go. Um, it, my, my path to getting to where I am right now is, is a little um, long and crazy. And then people start doing the time math in their head and realize that I'm not actually 22. Um, mm -hmm. even I apparently look like it. Um, I, so I went to film school. Like I grew up, I grew up doing acting and everything. Um, like I started, I say that I started when I was seven, but I actually have photos of me doing like some child theater thing from like much younger. Um, but the first thing I remember being in is when I, when I was seven. Um, and I was, and an incredibly shy child. Um, I think I was just an introvert, but I thought that I was shy because when you're seven years old, you don't understand words like introvert. Um, but I loved being on stage and just being able to, um, to be somebody else. I was listening to an interview recently with Catherine Tate and she was talking about how like she was incredibly shy too. And it was just a way of hiding. And I think for me, it was as you're growing up, like you don't know who you are, but then there are other characters that are out there and like, Oh, but I know who this character is. And so it's a lot easier to kind of just go into whoever the character is as you're figuring out who you are. Uh, and so I grew up and I did a lot of acting like musical theater and plays and I did some directing and some other stuff as well. 
and was originally going to go to school for musical theater. And about two weeks before um, I was supposed to like sign up for classes and audition, I decided that I didn't want to audition for the next four years of my life, uh, which I find kind of ironic because even working on the production side of things, it's like a constant audition. Um, but I didn't realize that. And so I decided to be a film major. And so I went to school for three semesters. Uh, it got really expensive and I realized I didn't want to spend money learning how to make films, but I still wanted to make films. I didn't really know how to do that because my the school that I went to was like very big on the independent scene um, to the point where they're like, you shouldn't make money making films like this should be a passion and a hobby. Um, and I'm like, well, I can't pay my bills on a passion and a hobby. Um, and I'm not quite ready to move to Hollywood. And I didn't realize that there was like a huge amount of stuff in between. Um, and so I worked in the music industry for a little while and then I got a full-time job cause I had to get benefits. Um, and then while I was working that full-time job, I was just kind of very, um, um, so growing up in Pittsburgh, like Pittsburgh has a good art scene, but it's also very much a blue collar town and yes. the, <laughs> the world there, um, the majority of the people there, um, are just very content with mediocrity. Like they're very nice. Um, but they're just kind of like, Oh, well, we're just going to work and have a family and not really have any other purpose in life other than to work and have a family and, and do that, which is a lovely way to be if that's what you want to be. Um, that was not what I wanted to be. And so I felt a little bit like George Bailey being in Pittsburgh, like I kept trying to get out and then things would fall through and I wouldn't be able to, like I did almost move to LA a couple of times and I almost moved to Denver, um, Canada, like a few other places and things just never worked out. And so there was one day that I was just very frustrated and I was talking to a friend of mine and I'm like, well, when I move to Nashville, maybe things will change. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm moving to Nashville. Um, so two weeks later I visited and then six weeks later I was here. Um, and that was nine years ago. I've been in this community for about five years. Um, when I moved, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, like I said, I had a background in film. I had a background in music, which kind of made Nashville a safe place to be because I at least had acquaintances here. Um, that could hopefully be the difference between being homeless and not, um, at least as far as like finding resources and and knowing where to go and getting information and stuff. Um, cause again, I'm not very good at just kind of putting myself out there. So knowing that I at least had people that I can call and ask questions to, uh, helped a little bit. Um, but then like, I also have a background doing computer stuff. And so, um, I tried to freelance for a little while when I, I moved here. Um, but again, with my personality and not really knowing anybody, it was, it was kind of difficult. So I worked full time for, um, I think I freelanced for about 45 or for, uh, four, three fourths of a year. What's, I don't know what my brain is doing right now. Um, it's <laughs> like weird, weird date math. Um, I also moved here two weeks before it flooded. So that kind of put a damper on a lot of my plans. Um, as far as the freelancing goes, cause there just wasn't nearly as much work cause the city was trying to rebuild itself. So you're talking uh, about the flood of 2009, 2010 or 2010. Yeah. yeah it's a yeah. historical flood in Nashville. Yep. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, cause I, that was kind of when I started doing, um, corporate AV work, which I still do sometimes now. Um, and, but all the places like Opryland flooded, um, downtown flooded, the convention center flooded, like there just wasn't a lot happening in Nashville and the things that were happening, like they already started crewing up. Like, I think there were a couple of films that were shooting here at the time, like country strong and maybe one or two others, but I 
wasn't enough in the industry to be able to get on any of those. Uh, so I worked full time for a little while and I had wanted for a while to do a talk show. Um, that's actually what got me back into freelancing so that I would have time to do that show because I had people that I worked with. They're like, you've been talking about this the whole time that I've known you. And you're like, you know what? I was like, you know what? I have been, and I just don't have the time to do it while I'm working free full time. So I'm just going to go back to freelancing. Um, and so I started trying to do the talk show, which is really similar to podcasts, but like mm-hmm. in 2010, like there weren't really podcasts out there. And so I'm just like, well, I'm just going to do this video show. Um, and I'm going to host it cause I like late night shows, but I also like just having conversations with people and being able to get dig deeper into it. And I just didn't like how surface the late night show interviews were. Um, also they never interviewed the band, which is really a shame. Mm-hmm. And so so I started working on that, and then while was I was that working, was that show and talk that's show and talk, yes. Which yeah. I, at some point I'll I'll come back to and make it yeah. actually in podcast form, but well, it's yeah, higher on my list right now. Yeah, if, if people can find it on YouTube. I, I watched a ton of those, and um, I'll, I'll come back to it in a little bit. But go ahead. Okay. Yes. Uh, and so while I was doing that, I was just trying to to get back into the whole creative groove, and uh, a friend of mine who is a he was a producer, he was a prop guy, um, and now he um, is co-owner of a, a company in in California. Uh, but he gave advice to somebody else, which I kind of took to heart, and he was talking about how you should write every day. Like, no matter what you do in the creative world, like, in order to keep yourself being creative, you should write every day. And so... And what's, I, what's his name? Uh, his name's David Coleman. He's mm-hmm. a co-owner of a company called Nerd HQ, um, or the Nerd Machine. Um, he, yeah, he's a prop guy on the TV show Chuck um, and a few other things. Um, so I kind of took that to heart. Um, I didn't really put it into practice right away. Uh, but then there's also an organization that I found through Meetup, and I can't remember what the Meetup group is called or if they still exist. Um, because I was part of some Meetups in Nashville and also in Los Angeles trying to just network out there. And their whole, the whole idea behind them is that they, um, they had writers who are like writer directors who they had to find their own producer, but then the people in the group would get together and help to make their film. Um, the only caveat for them is that it had to be less than five pages. It had to happen all in one location. So you could have multiple locations, but we, you couldn't do a company move or anything. And then it had to have like a limited number of characters, I think like under four in it be able to be shot all in a day. So that way, like people that are donating their time, like they're not donating it for a, like a long week or like several weekends or whatever. Like it's all just one day people get together they make a film and then it goes out. And so I was thinking about it and I was like, I don't have any ideas that are this short. Uh, and so I finally came up with an idea uh, about a girl who had to decide between breaking up with her boyfriend or telling him he, or she was a superhero. Right. Uh, so, so I wrote that um, as my test to write something short um, that is now eventually turned into a web series that is 10 episodes in the first season. And then season two is actually like full TV show length. Uh, so I kind of failed the exercise as far as making something short, uh, but it got me back into writing. Uh, I wrote a lot when I was in, in high school and even college. Um, but then I stopped because writing is a very emotional thing and I just didn't really feel like dealing with my emotions for a long period of time. Uh, and I still have a, a hard time writing in, in some, sometimes, even if it's not something that I'm like 
necessarily connected with. Uh, I remember when we were shooting the the teaser and I felt really bad for the director. Uh, I don't like to do more than three things on a project. And since I acted in it and produced it and wrote it, um, yeah, I'm I got surprised you didn't direct, direct that teaser. I, I decided that I wanted to be in it. Like I still love acting. Um, and even up until like five years ago when I started freelancing and decided that I was going to focus on doing film production, um, I felt like I had to make a choice between whether or not I wanted to pursue being in front of the camera and being behind the camera. And a big part of the decision was that there are just a lot more opportunities for me behind the camera than there are in front of the camera. But that doesn't mean that I don't like acting. Um, and so anything that I have the opportunity to be in, like I'll still do it. And so for that one, I decided I just wanted to act and I don't like directing myself. Um, I don't know. I feel like there are some people that can that do it all um, and they do it well or fairly well, um, depending on who it is and who's watching it. Uh, I probably could, but I don't want to. Like, I feel like there needs to be. Again, like my love for filmmaking is about the collaborativeness of it. And while I am a creative person, like there's a limit to my creativity. And so if I were to, to write and direct and produce and act and do all of the, the top level things, then the project that comes out is just limited to my creativity. But when you bring other people in and they kind of color things and add their flavor and their thoughts and everything, like it just makes it so much bigger than anything that I could do on my own. And that's not to say that I'll, I take every bit of input uh, I still have, um, particularly like with, with Less Than Super, um, both with the teaser and with getting people's input on the writing, because uh, the whole first season is written, it just hasn't been shot yet. Um, I, will take, I take all of that, that and I, I process it, but I make sure that it fits within the world that I want. And because I have such a, a good idea of the overall either what I want to accomplish with something or how I want it to make people feel like I can take everyone else's thoughts about something and utilize them because it doesn't make it chaotic. Um, but not everybody can, but I think that that is when the best things come out when you, when you go beyond just yourself and your, your brain, unless you're like Lin-Manuel Miranda or some of those other people that who have like, just, I don't know, insanely creative brains, but who knows? Like maybe he has like other people that are kind of whispering in his ear and helping him guide stuff too. Oh, for, certainly for sure. Because I think the thing about film that we all love is how collaborative it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I, I think there's, um, I think you're a leader, but I think there's a reluctance to lead um, with you. Um, and I think there's a, there's an introverted nature to you, but there's a part of you that needs and desires to be seen. And so I'm curious, do you want to act or do you want to direct more? My ultimate goal is show running. Um, so neither. Got it. Got if it. I had to choose between the two of those, though, I'm not. 
it really would depend on the project and what I feel like I could bring to the project. Um, because like, even, even with the people that do everything, like they have to get other people to come in and act. And those actors bring their own read or just their own take of the character. Um, like nothing is ever going to be exactly like how you envision it in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever it comes out, unless you're doing just like a one person act, I guess. Um, but even as far as like how people respond to it, like you do have to release some type of control, no matter how much of it you have in the process. Like there's always, there are always things that you can't control about either how your project turns out or how people respond to it. And I guess that's kind of where what you see as far as like my leadership skills go. Like I, I don't necessarily like to lead. I don't like that it's necessary. Um, but at the same time, I don't like chaos. And so I have no problem stepping into things where I feel like I could be useful. Um, and I guess that's why I, I enjoy doing AD stuff so much because it's like, I, like I'm running the set and I'm doing all that stuff, but like, it's not mine. I'm doing it in order to be able to support other people so that they're able to get, do the job that they need to do. Right. And, and I met you through, you know, the Nashville Film Festival and, uh, and, and I thought you were perfect for that. And I think there's a reason why you being a, a NAV photographer an interviewer, those things are perfect uh, f- for you uh, because you get to assert a degree of control and a degree of order around your work, but it's for something bigger than yourself. Um, you, you know, you've been a photographer for them, an interviewer, a reader, a screener, I believe as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of insight that you get into the greater film industry just by playing those roles. And um, you've probably seen uh, more than anybody. And again, I, I look at you and say this, you know, you're one of the people that I would consider the glue to film production in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, you really are um, because you get, you're this person that has the opportunity to read a screenplay and decide whether it wins an award. You're this, uh, or gets picked, uh, gets accepted. You're one of these people who can screen a movie and decide whether it gets accepted. And so you become uh, by default, one of the tastemakers. And there's a lot of um, power in that. Uh, but there's also a lot of broadness in it. So um, when you read a story, you know, if, if a new creative um, or if, even if an experienced creative is, is listening to this and they're writing a screenplay or they have a, f- a short film or a feature that you're going to screen or, or, or a screenplay you're going to read, what are you looking for in a screenplay? What makes for a winning story to you and what makes for a winning short or feature when you screen it? Well, I read for a lot of different things. And so I usually try to, to do it based on, um, like what that purpose is. Like, yeah, I'll often read or screen for the the film festival, but I also just as far as like friends go, I've had several people where I've, I've read their scripts and, and kind of given them notes. Um, 
one of the biggest things for me is like whether or not I can get lost in it, like especially coming from a background of being able to make movies. Um, and it's, I do the same thing with stuff that I watch. Like um, I know the last season of Game of Thrones had a lot of criticism and one of my biggest problems with it is the fact that I was taken out of it so many times. Um, just looking at how things were shot or just story-wise and and doing stuff, which didn't happen any of the first seasons. Like I was able to just for that hour, however long it wanted to be, like just be completely taken away there. And so that's, um, that's often what I will, if I can't do that, um, then I'm generally going to pass on it. Or if I'm doing it for notes, like you'll have a lot more notes than, than necessary. Um, but if I sit down and I read something and I can completely see the story and it's all there and it all makes sense. Um, then that's kind of what I'm looking for. And there, there are a lot of people that have even writing wise, like different strengths and different things. Um, I'm not personally, as far as writing goes, like story is not really my strength. Um, I come up with stories out of necessity because I mean, otherwise you're just going to have Seinfeld. Um, but (laughs) Hey, nothing wrong with Seinfeld. <laughs> no, it, I mean, it is a self-proclaimed show about nothing, yes. um, which is fine, but you don't want that, like, especially in a film. Um, and there, there's still very few people that are able to pull something like that off. And, exactly. and they, they, they're, the episode still had an overarching story. It was just still a lot about nothing. Like the office is the same thing. And then you have so many copycats that don't get the, how well that you're able to weave that. And the reason that shows like that work um, are because of the characters and the way that they relate with each other. And that's really believable. And so I have, I find that a lot of people will have like a really strong story and like really great ideas, but they're just kind of pieced together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the story doesn't flow very, very smoothly. Like it from start to finish, like it needs to make sense. And a lot of times, and I think somebody, a few other people have talked about this on your podcast too, that like, if you don't know where you're going, then you kind of meander about a lot through it. And it's very awkward and uncomfortable. Um, and awkward, and uncomfortable itself sometimes too, but not if you're making an action film. Um, right. so, so understanding like what your genre is and not doing stuff just because it seems cool, um, but because it makes sense. Uh, and the same thing with characters, like your character needs to have a reason for being in this story and for interacting with other people and their interactions need to be natural. And I think that's where I benefit a lot from, from being an introvert, because when I, like I said, when I don't have to be out in front of people and be a leader, like I would rather just sit back and observe and, um, guess I do it probably less now than I did when I was younger, but just being able to observe people and see how they interact with each other. And if you throw in a particular element, like how that changes everyone's demeanor, like not everyone's going to react the same way. Like if we're all standing at a party and we're talking and a raccoon comes in, like everyone's going to react differently. (laughs) Like some people are going to scream and yell. Some people are going to be like, Oh, Hey, that's really cool. Someone's going to try and be the hero. And tackle it and someone's going to be super drunk and try to give it a drink. I don't know. Everyone's going to do something different though. And you kind of have to have that too, like with your, with your story, like knowing, I think I just read an article actually about that, like knowing who your characters are, um, is what they would do in whatever situation it is that you're putting them in and then put them in interesting situations and see what they do. That's why people like to watch stuff. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. A couple of thoughts to dig in on that. Uh, one, it's one of my pet peeves when I watch um, anything, uh, but it happens a lot in independent film, which is every character in a scene talks with the exact same rhythm, uh, the exact same pace, and with the exact same inflection and tone. And that really creates for, um, you know, boredom, <laughs> dryness, um, and lack of creativity be- because you're right. Every person's grew up differently. They're, they're, they're different people unless they're supposed to be supposed to be intentionally alike. Um, but you find that's, and that happens on screen. So on the page while you're writing it, you're writing different words. And so you're saying to, yourself as a writer, oh, this is very different. This, this, you know, and then you find that when you have the matching on the screen, um, suddenly uh, they all sound and look alike. And so you don't notice it until you've already shot it. Um, But uh, so that's one thing. And the second thing is, is about um, being a reader. Um, I am not um, the grammar police but what I will do as a friend is I'll try to say, hey, you had a grammar error here or a grammar error there. But as a business-minded person and, and your advocate for getting something made, I'll tell you about story. So for me, if you have grammatical errors or formatting errors, I, I barely I barely even care, if that's fair to say. Like, I, I don't care. Um, like, if your story is really great, um, we can... You know, there are programs that can fix the grammar and the spelling yeah. and the formatting if, if need be. But oftentimes, uh, unfortunately, what happens is if there's a lot of grammatical errors and the story is also not good, like the, the attention to detail you have to one thing. That, and Nick, my, you know, my partner, Nick, uh, mm-hmm. he, he always says this, the, the, the attention um, you give to one thing and uh, the behaviorism you have around one thing is, is how you'll be around all things. Yeah, um, I completely agree with that. Yeah, and, because uh, I mean, fixing that shows that you care. Like, if you don't care enough to go in and make sure that your script is formatted properly, or like all of your grammatical errors are, are corrected, and not just like one or two typos here and there, but just like things that are very blatant. Like, if you're going to present that to somebody in hopes that they'll give you an award, or give you money, or just give you their time, um, then like, but you don't care enough to go back and make sure that it's good. Like that's, that just says a lot about you. It certainly does. And, um, you know, I had one other thought around your work at, at the Nashville film festival and it's, you have been uh, in league and, and had entree to creatives from the very, very famous and successful to the beginner. So I'm wondering from your perspective, what is it that the very successful creatives do that the indie creatives or the not successful creative isn't doing? Uh, they're more confident in making it up. <laughs> I feel like this entire industry is, I mean, not even the whole fake it till you make it, but it's, I mean, you can't really put a box around creativity. Now I take that back. That's not the word that I want. Um, being creative isn't the same as doing something that's mathematically related. Um, so for instance, like as far as, as coding goes, 
um, and that, this actually might be a bad example, but like if you're writing like a web series or a, a or I'm sorry, a website or like an app or something like that, like there are very clear rules that you have to follow in order to be able to do it. This analogy is about to go in a completely different direction, but it's still going to work. So stick with me. Um, <laughs> we'll do. And so, so if you want to do like your very basic, like hello world app and whatever language it is that you decide to do it, like there's really only one way to do that. But then once you get outside of that, like you say you want to create something that's like the Facebook app or, um, your own type of like Tinder app or something else. Like there's still a very clear way of, of making it like they're like pulling in Google type stuff or pulling in something else. Like a lot of that underneath is the same, but in order to make it your own, like you kind of have to go outside of what is standard in order to make it your own, but not so much outside it that your app doesn't work anymore. Um, and filmmaking is, is the same. I think people are too quick to be, to want to get to that big Facebook app that they don't want to stop and do that hello world app. And so things get a little bit crazy. Um, and they try to do it their own way and it, well, they either try to do it their own way and it, it fails miserably because they don't have the building blocks for it, or they're really good at the building blocks, but they're afraid to do anything outside it because they don't understand anything other than what they've been taught. Um, and the people that are, are really good and really successful have figured out how to take these building blocks that are necessary in order to be able to establish it, but they make it their own and they, they do that because they're, especially now, like there's so many people in, in order to be able to stand out, like you've got to have either something about you or something about what you do that makes you different, but not so different that people are willing to take a risk for you because it's a very scary industry. And like, you see how many things come out that are exactly the same. Um, because those risks are really scary. Like they're really expensive. And if you know that making fast and furious 27 is going to make you more money than you spend, then you're going to make Mm -hmm. that as opposed to, um, whatever super awesome creative thing that Matki has on his brain right now. But people are still going to take notice and they're still going to look at it. And especially as trends are changing, um, or if not even so much trends, just what, what the audiences are saying right now. Um, social media is, I don't know where I am right now. I've gone so far off, but I hope I'm answering your question. Anyway, social media is interesting because it affects entertainment, but then it doesn't. Um, Elaborate. So please. (laughs) (laughs) There pretty much since like, since the, since Twitter started, like people have been using it as far as um, expressing themselves about their favorite TV shows in particular. Like I remember even back in like, when did the writer strike happen? Was that 2007, 2008? Um, mm-hmm. Whenever that was. Just avoided was, one. But. Yeah, I know. That was, that was in, interesting. Um, but so I remember because the, the TV show Chuck is, it was its first year, the year that the writer strike happened, or maybe it was the second year. Uh, but it, the strike affected that show a lot because it was just kind of starting to get its legs and then it had to have a short season. 
And so there was a lot of worry about whether or not it would be renewed. And even for the whole five years that it was on, like the first four years, it was always kind of like a save Chuck campaign. And, and so Twitter played a huge part in that. Um, like I know I, it was one of the few shows that I watched from the beginning and I made a Twitter account specifically so that I could kind of join in that conversation and tweet about it and see what other people were doing, like going out and eating Subway sandwiches or sending letters to some of the other sponsors or whatever. And to an extent, like that helped to save the show. And, um, but even now, like it recently is like a couple months ago, like there were people trying to save the TV show timeless or to like get another movie and to do a lot of other stuff. And I think one of the, either like the writers or the executives of timeless kind of finally came out and said, it's like, no matter what you guys do as fans, like we're not going to bring the show back. And that's the reality of it. I mean, there you can show that there's a fan base through social media and I mean there are a lot of people I mean like there are jobs that I haven't got because I don't have the social media numbers that other people have like hosting type things or some other ones so social media definitely plays a big part in how entertainment is but I don't think it plays nearly as big of a part as people think or the type of response that, that it does. I mean, like even with that person responding saying, Hey, I see your tweets. Um, we're not going to change your mind, but I see you. Um, they're not going to bring the show back, but there's people are still being seen and and have a voice that is not necessarily there. So maybe they're not going to bring that show back, but they see, Oh, there's still a market here for this type of thing. So maybe if we do what timeless did, cater it a little bit differently so that we can also bring in this other crowd that really wants something. And maybe that's the type of show that will do well or movie or whatever it is. And so social media helps people figure out what they want and how many people want it. Um, but I don't think it necessarily has as much influence as, as some people might think. Right. And, that, and the other thing is I think fans are full of shit. A lot of times Um, you get on social media, you ask for a thing and then you don't support it the right way. Um, You know, there's a lot of people in this community that would say, hey, I support independent creatives. Well, did you buy that book that that guy wrote? Did you uh, go to that show? Did you spend that money? Did you 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 see what I mean? And one thing that that Bonsai has always been. Uh, proud of is that no we really do it like we really go and put the money out and and really go and support it and do a lot of free work and you know it's you know fans aren't like that also the second thing is fans don't understand the economics Uh, christine woods talked about this uh, in our conversation one of my favorite shows of the time she was in and you know it just came down to the fact that they were way ahead of their time in terms of what they were trying to put on film on television which now because of game of thrones uh and chernobyl and shows like this it's commonplace but at the time it was way ahead i think it was it's called fast forward and it was way ahead of its time had this amazing cast and the recession hit and literally the funding for the show went away and no amount of fanfare and social media um push uh, even with advertising dollars can replace the upfront cash needed to green light a show that costs what it costs per episode. Um, it's just the economics. Game of Thrones, you mentioned it earlier again, 
uh, I'm not going to berate or belittle the writers. They're fantastic. They're so talented. The actors are so talented. Um, they It's very rare where a show gives you everything that you want for everyone. And the fact that they gave us nearly 10 years of great entertainment, we should all be really happy with that. But, but the times that things kind of felt different in the last season were all economical. They all came down to economics. They couldn't shoot another episode because of what it was costing per episode because the actress had become famous. Uh, you had gotten so big, you just couldn't do another episode. And therefore, you had to squeeze everything into uh, the last, the, the finale, which probably could have stood to be maybe 45 minutes longer, right? Right. Uh, and, and it would answer all the questions in a satisfying way. So the economics, just understanding what it costs to make a, a thing great, uh, something that that I don't think fans uh, fully realize. Um, I, I would be not doing my job uh, if we didn't talk about Less Than Super, okay. which is uh, your calling card and, and the web series you created. It's your baby. It's, it's the thing I think... Uh, people will find on the line with you and, and think I think you're most proud of. But um, you, you mentioned earlier, story isn't your strength, but one of your strengths, I believe, is uh, our strengths, uh, I believe, is, is theme. You're very good at theme and um, knowing what the show is supposed to be and how it's supposed to come off tonally. And I found there were some interesting uh, commonalities uh, and, and uh, parallels between the theme of that show and the characters and, and some things I see in you. Uh, so the themes for uh, Lesson Super are finding your identity, working as a team, healthy relationships, and channeling your inner strength. And um, like you said, you're, you're in it and you play a character named Alice and her expertise is making plans. <laughs> and she's a reluctant leader and she hides who she is. So I'm curious, this feels a little handpicked for you. Uh, how much of you is in this show? I feel like there's a bit of me in all of the characters. Um, maybe, maybe even the villains. I'm not too sure about that. I'm self-criticism the the season one villains aren't necessarily the best um but they get me to where i want to be because the whole the whole thing is leading up to season two which i'm super excited about and i just want to make it just so that i can do that um but as far as like the 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 core character as a team um there there's definitely a little bit of me in all of them um when i was thinking of that i wanted to act in it like i couldn't really see myself playing any character other than Alice um, and not because she's a lead. Honestly, it was, it was strange um, being the leader of the team. Cause I do definitely have that whole reluctant um, leadership thing. And one of the other reasons why it was good that I had a director, like we were shooting and we were getting coverage and they're like, all right, it's time for your close-ups." I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess we should get close-ups of me. Like I probably wouldn't, it, I would be in two shots. Like, for every single scene if I were directing myself, um, just cause it's not something that I, I think about or, or ever really desire to have. Um, and I think that might just come from being on theater. Like I love, I love acting and I do prefer film acting over theater acting just because it's more realistic, but in theater, like you don't have to think about close-ups or you don't do you, or anything like you're just acting with other people all the time. And the energy comes from the people that, 
are are on stage with you. Not that you don't have that same energy on film, but on film, it's like, okay, say these three lines. Okay, say these three lines again, and it's a different type of energy, and the camera's right in your face. Um, but I don't know. I I think I sent you, um, like, you read the character bios and stuff, too. Like, I have two-page character bios for some of them. Like, definitely a page, some of them two pages long, and that's kind of why it went from this five-page thing to this 130-page first season, because as I started writing the character bios, like, I just really enjoyed them, and I wanted to see more the the people that I created. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, both good qualities and bad qualities, I feel, um, are are taken from me into, into all of them. And, uh, I guess too, even, even theme wise, my desire in helping people find what they're best at and bringing that out personally, um, is now also the main theme of the show or the the purpose of the show, not even necessarily the theme, but like I wanted to create a a show that had heroes that people can relate to like, like Superman and Spider-Man and all those people are great, but like very few people are going to get bit by a radioactive animal and gain superpowers or be an alien from some other place and like get stuff like you can look up to your traditional superheroes, but like you can never be them. And so I wanted Mm -hmm. to create people that are flawed, but still really want to do the right thing. Um, and that they always have that desire or when they don't have that desire, they have other people that build them up and, and push that. And so I wanted to just kind of create that type of world. Um, because my favorite part of, of any superhero type thing, like particularly the TV shows is just the relationships with for them. Like I kind of joke that I wanted to just start in season three of Buffy and go on um, because it kind of <laughs> stopped being about her fighting vampires and more about her working with everybody else. And then you're like, Oh yeah, monsters. Um, like supernatural is the same thing. Like when you have like a traditional monster episode on supernatural, it's a surprise, even though that's like the whole premise of the show. Yeah. It's, it, it's really a fun premise. It's, it's this premise that is super original in the detail of each character, but also very familiar because we've seen these sort of um, fish-out-of-water stories around you know having superpowers. And Heroes comes to mind for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think I you know, wish you the best of luck with that. Uh, I want to see how it maturates. I want to keep following it as I have and, and see how, how we can help. And, and um, I think you're very determined around it. I think it's the story that sort of fits uh, your personality really well. As I mentioned earlier, um, you've been so uh, generous with your time. Um, and uh, for those that don't know, we are, are doing this at night. Um, we're doing this in the, in the sexy hour. Yeah. Is that a thing? I don't know. I just made that up. Um, it is now. It is now. And, um, hashtag sexy hour. Hashtag sexy hour. Yeah. I love it. Um, and reverting into sexy Sandrine and sexy Chris for the remainder of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, one, one more question for you. Um, yeah. unfortunately I can, uh, count, I think on one hand, uh, the number of black female or black females there are in the Nashville independent film community. Um, and maybe that's just my experience. And there's like 
10,000 and, and I'm just unaware of it, but, but actually working and I see people on sets and, and you're certainly one of the most prominent that I actually see working, uh, various crews, various projects respected on set. So what has your experience been being a black female in the film community, independent film community? Generally, it's been really good, actually. I I feel like I'm fortunate that I haven't really encountered a lot of the, the difficulties that other people have, um, but I've always found myself in male-dominated areas, like mm-hmm. the film community, the music community, even like computers and stuff. And like I worked my first um, music industry job when I was 13, like selling merch and, and stuff. And so I've always been around that and I've always been able to assert myself in places. Uh, I do at times get pushed back generally like day one, um, because I just show up and it's kind of like, Oh, there's this little black girl who I still get asked if I'm in college. Um, mm-hmm. and so, yeah. So, so not only am I, my, I'm, am I a minority, but I'm also presumed to be much younger than I am and like either fresh out of school or probably like interning or something like that's generally what people think of me. Cause I also sound like I'm 13. Um, so this will be great for an audio podcast. Um, but for the most part, um, I'm generally able to kind of turn that, thought process around. Um, and by the end, people kind of come around and come to respect at least that I know what I'm doing, uh, even if they don't necessarily always like how I do it. Uh, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I know that there are a lot of people that have not had that experience and that there have been times that I've been in places where it could have not gone that way. Um, so I'm always very cognizant of how blessed I am in the fact that things go well. But at the same time, like I'm sure there are lots of things that I've not been able to do um, because of either my race or my gender or both. Um, just that people like automatically see me or hear me or, or hear of me and they decide to pass and get a big white male instead. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I personally, I don't find it more in the film community than I necessarily do anywhere else. Um, yeah. I find it less in the film community than in actual life. Uh, I know for me, I, I grew up and I was very uh, aware and introduced very early to overt racism in it, but it wasn't until I was an adult till I fully understood that there were a couple of different types and that there was sort of, you know, um, systematic. And then there was also just covert racism where, uh, I had a couple of good friends that, that had my back and let me know, Hey, you realize what they were saying? You know, did you, do you realize what they were saying about you when you left the room? Do you realize mm-hmm. the words they used when you left the room? And then I became aware cause I was shocked. These were people that I remember very clearly these were friends. These were people I trusted. I would trust to protect me and maybe they still would. And that's, what's so weird about biases and, and, and these isms is that you can be, and human beings are complex because they can be more than one thing. But, you know, overall, yeah, I feel like, I think it was 
the conversation we had with Sarah Antonio and we talked about, you know, when you're different, you do have an opportunity to weaponize it, to turn it around as and use it as an advantage. And uh, I, I hope um, you continue to have these great experiences in film. And if it ever does uh, uh, come up, you know, weaponize it. You're so different. You're so unique, so special to have in this community. And you've always been an advocate of this community and the creatives in it. And I think we should all be proud to have you. And um, uh, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and where they can find you on the interwebs and maybe even where they can see you work. Yeah. On the, uh, on, on the internet, I am... <laughs> I had to pause because my my screen name or my username is I am Sandrine for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I don't really Snapchat. I don't. Okay. I don't. I don't quite understand how that's used in a not friend way. Um, I I know some people are really great at that. I guess they share their stories out to everyone else. Instagram has that now too, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never remember to share them Instagram stories. So Snapchat, I would be Snapchat. Snapchat's all about groups. Yeah, um, it's not about broadcasting and hoping. And, uh, and I actually think on that. So it's not about hoping the world sees your stuff unless you're actually promoing it, like spending money to push it out. And mm-hmm. I think Instagram's going to experiment with taking away the like button and just I, I think I think that's interesting. And mm-hmm. the person that suggested that, by the way, just so we have it right historically was Kanye West. And he might get his way on Twitter and on Instagram because I think people are more sad when they don't get likes. And um, what if there was no likes? What if there was just you posted it and there's comments and there's true engagement? So anyway, go ahead. I am Sandrine, which is spelled I-A-M-S-A-N-D-R-E-N-E, right? Yes. Perfect. Okay. So we're right out there. That's how you get to I am Sandrine and follow Miss Sandrine. Go ahead. Uh, my website is also IamSandrine.com, but it's really sad right now, so I wouldn't really <laughs> advise going. Uh, I have, I'm, I'm fortunate that I have a very unique name, so honestly, if you just Google me, um, don't tell me that you did because it's weird, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you can pretty much anything that comes up, um, especially if you Google Sandrine Matthews, Matthews is spelled with one T, so M-A-T-H-E-W-S, although I think... I still come up when you do two T's. I don't know. I occasionally will search myself just to see what pops up. Um, I'm also on Vimeo and I have a couple of projects on Amazon prime. Um, a couple of shorts that I did and I'll be putting a few more up there. Yeah, soon. You've, you've directed that. five shorts, right? Uh, is that so? right? I think so. And, and tell, tell us what shorts are on Amazon prime so we can all go watch them. Uh, the American Mistake is on Amazon, and Wendigo is on Amazon. Awesome. Yes. So, and the American State Mistake is starring Dean Shortland and Chelsea Fuller, and they're delightful. And Wendigo has a lot of really amazing people, including Jessica Drew Chastain, who crushed it. So, um, go and watch that and see everyone's fantastic performances. And absolutely. Just, yeah, I love them. A couple of friends of the podcast there as well. Um, so I will make sure to check those out tonight. Uh, any parting words for our audience? Um, 
I just encourage everybody to know your why. Like anytime people ask me for general, not hour long rambly advice, um, that's my, my advice to them. Um, understand why you're doing stuff. Um, and I think that again, goes back to the lesson super and why it's so important to me, not only that I do it, but I do that. I do it right. Uh, because it is a big answer to my why of why I, I am in this industry in the first place. Um, but even the, the other things that I have, like doing Wendigo and, and all the other stuff, like understanding why it is that you're making something as opposed to just putting something out there always makes it much better and relatable um, and helps kind of with like all that story stuff that we were talking about before. So, Absolutely. Well, Sandrine, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, this I, is always a blast. I really hope I get to see you soon. If not, I'm going to be upset. Filmcom, I heard that you're doing some stuff there. I am. I'm on the panel. Nick is yeah. on the panel. Bonza is oh. doing the panel at Filmcom. So I guess I'll see you in a couple of weeks then. Yeah, for sure. All right. This has been awesome. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative be engaged. And thank you for listening.